One of the things I enjoy most about doing what I do and trying to help people through education is answering your questions. So that's what I'm going to be doing in this week's episode. Um, I've been getting quite a few lately and like I said this is the most sort of enjoyable part as I feel I can kind of really have a direct relationship and really try and help you. If you have any questions for me I'd love to answer them. There's loads of ways of getting hold of me. Um, The best probably is to send me an email thad at thadeducation.com or you can DM me on Instagram or you can join the Facebook group and get hold of me in there and send me a message. So as I said this week we're going to be hassle, you know dealing with a few of these sort of topical questions anything based around freelancing business or creativity I'm hoping I can help you and I hope you enjoy this episode. How do I stay on top of design trends? Okay. Well this is a, a big thing anyway like In any industry, it's very, very sort of attractive to become trendy. We all want to be kind of trendy and cool. And quite often you'll find when clients come to us, they're kind of, they too want to kind of stay on what's trendy and what's fashionable. This is a human thing. But over time, when I've thought about this is I'd probably say that the main thing is to not worry about design trends. You don't want to be following something because in my experience, once it's become a trend, it's on the way out. Uh, An actual fact, the key really, if it's possible, is for you to be the person who's setting the trend rather than following it. And a bit in the same way, and it's maybe not quite right, but if you're following a recipe, you can emulate the recipe and that's great and you can kind of think you're a good cook. But the reality is that once the recipe's gone, you realise you're at the mercy of that and you can't really cook because you're just copying something. And it's the same thing with design trends you're leaving yourself open to being at the mercy of copying whatever's trendy rather than doing what you like and there's this is a terrible thing I'll be honest with you because what will happen is one you'll produce work for your portfolio which will date very very fast and if you don't believe me just look back at what was a design trend even last year or the year before that And like I said, you won't want to be producing that kind of work because it feels old fashioned now. So that's the first thing. If you start to do trendy work, it will date very quickly and your portfolio will date. And that will mean two things. One, people will overlook you because it feels old or you'll just have to keep working harder to replace all of that work and keep updating it, which is a bit exhausting. So that's the first thing. Don't worry about being trendy because you'll you'll produce a dated portfolio. And the second thing is you'll look like everyone else because a lot of other people who will try and emulate this trend, uh, by the time it becomes trendy, you'll be able to get tools and stuff like that on Creative Market and all these other sort of Photoshop type websites. And the market will be flooded and now people can go on Canva and sort of emulate a look Um, to get what they want and like I said once you reach this stage where people are able to do it for themselves and sort of emulate what you're doing again the trend is over Um, it's this thing of we want to kind of uh, look back at the sort of timeline of a trend and it's it's the classic kind of bell curve where in the beginning no whoever's creating this kind of what's trendy or this look they're doing it because they're kind of naturally sort of curious and they're trying new things. And then over time, a few other people catch, you know, they, they see this trend and they follow it because it, it's, they are inspired by it. And when the sort of cool people are starting to kind of follow and do this trend, it's growing slowly. And then over time, because of their kind of reputation and influence, it will grow even quicker. 
and then it will start to hit the mainstream because often you'll find um, an artist or a designer will do something which breaks through off the back of you know working with a high profile client with a big audience or big exposure or or big budget and once that kind of look becomes more mainstream then other people will try and copy that and do it for themselves and it's a bit old now but like if you think about the kind of duo tone look that Spotify went through when it rebranded the first hit was that kind of the first rebrand to roll out that look was quite you know interesting and different and people really loved it and then actually they just copied it and so the thing is once you're copying a trend it's over you don't want to be that person so what we need to do is reverse time and go okay who were the people responsible for that trend what were they doing before they came up with it who were they being inspired by and can I learn from that side of it so I find that the more the best way really is to stop worrying about trends and start looking at kind of people who inspire you and talking to them and hanging around them and really kind of staying curious so it, it's a case of you don't want to be following trends you want to either really be setting them but also you want to just not be at the mercy of any of these things which have a finite time link to them um, so even the spot of the people who've branded Spotify yeah they set the trend and it was great but, but because it became a trend that's now become dated it's now having a bit of a negative effect on what they originally created because that feels dated so they've kind of been outdone by their own brilliance in a certain regard so <clears throat> pardon me what I'm saying is the easiest way to do this is what you're really asking is how can I create work that is going to inspire others, that's going to help me stand out, it's going to attract the kind of clients I really want to work with and build my reputation? And this is really, I, I want to be you know, thinking, how do I create brilliant work? And I found the best way of creating brilliant work is to be around brilliant people because they will do two things. They will inspire you and, and hold you accountable and kind of make you up your game so that you're kind of like, I've got to keep trying harder in order to sort of, stay relevant around these people and also they will have a curious mind and they will be addressing and attacking the problems of creative problem solving from a different point of view so i found that where it gets good and interesting is when you step slightly outside of your industry because you can then draw on different reference points for this creative inspiration and you can have effectively creative conversations but with new and interesting people so by that, I mean, if, if you look at me as a designer or someone who's into branding, um, if I talk to other people about branding, it's quite an insular, kind of almost like an echo chamber conversation where we're talking about branding problems. It's all the same reference points. So what I really want to do is I want to identify um, creative people who are interesting and inspire me, but from outside my industry. So then this is where I would look to talk to kind of photographers, interior designers, uh, musicians, filmmakers, uh, people make music, even chefs. All these kind of people are going to solve creative problems in their industry, but they're going to stay on top of you know what inspires them as well. And they're going to introduce you to new and interesting and inspiring people and films and music and podcasts. And, and for me, having that influx of sort of interesting stimulus when I bring that back into my kind of design context, I'm able to sort of connect dots and deal with it in a different way. And what that does is it kind of it keeps me curious. It keeps me interested. 
and it because I'm trying to kind of emulate them I kind of am going to want to push myself to hold myself to a higher creative standard and holding yourself to a higher creative standard and being able to come up with new and interesting sort of designs um, is what helps you create standout work and if you're doing it right hopefully what would happen is you would be sort of constantly producing interesting things and then this would get the attention of a high profile client who would then give you the platform to showcase your skills and then you would kind of almost become a bit cool and a bit trendy so my long-winded answer they're always long-winded unfortunately is really don't worry about um, staying on top of trends instead try and find people who inspire you from outside your industry and then also um, make time to be inspired and sort of objectively look around the world and and get out of your own echo chamber. So I recently watched the new Batman movie um, and I thought it was stunning the way it looked and I was really inspired by the cinematography and that was something I wasn't expecting. So it's this thing of watching a film and the way it's all put together and the compositions and the angles was so beautiful that that will somehow feed into the work I'm doing. But I've got to be actively a bit like a magpie going out there and kind of looking for creative sources of inspiration, talking to interesting people, and then being active enough to try to bring that all together and making something new and interesting for me from all of it. And if we keep doing that and we stay with that mindset, we will worry less about becoming on trend and following trends and actually we're more likely to become successful and trendy because we're kind of original and inspiring to others and that's the best way to do it. How do I find my style? This um, is a common problem because we kind of feel a pressure to find the style that establishes our reputation and makes us stand out. And I, I kind of feel that it's a bit of a trick as in... If you have a style, I don't know if you ever kind of adopt a style and then want to stick with it. Usually creative people want to change. And actually, if you accept that changing your style over time as you evolve and grow as a creative person is fine, then it reduces the pressure of actually wanting to find a style or create a unique style. And I'll give an example. Um, If you look at Picasso... A lot. Of, he went through several stylistic changes throughout his career as he became inspired and exposed to different life events. So he had a blue period, a kind of pink or red period, and then sort of cubist period, which is the kind of more common, the one that we know, sort of more modern one. That's the one he's more known for. But you can look back early on and see work by him, which is completely different. You would never guess it was him if you didn't see his signature on it. And this is when I saw that and I learned that in art history, I was like, OK, so... The style thing is ever evolving. And when you look at actually actors or musicians, even designers or photographers, why would they ever find a style and stick with it? Because naturally they're going to evolve as times evolve and as, and as they change as people. And that's what you want to be doing is actually not letting a style in inverted commas shackle you, but instead going, it's actually OK to be changing because I'm just exploring and sort of learning and improving so what I would say is if you want to kind of and again the question is like I don't want to sort of find a style and stick with it but I want to maybe be known for a style the question really is kind of actually what can I get known for and so the answer is slightly different so with this 
this is kind of how I would describe the best way of kind of doing that. And this isn't something that's happened to me, but I've seen it happen to successful people that I've worked around. Um, and it starts out with this. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to find a style that we can build our reputation around that we're known for. Okay, so that would imply that a style that you're currently going through becomes popular or you know gets you recognition. So how does that happen? Well, we have to go back to the beginning and what tends to happen, and you'll see this again with successful people, um, if you look at, say, Ed Sheeran, the volume of work that they're able to churn out through sheer consistency and work ethic is phenomenal. And any good artist, you can see they're constantly working at it just to get the reps in almost. So the first stage is consistency, where you are beginning to kind of master your craft by putting in the kind of Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours. And you're doing this uh, in a way where you're kind of showing up every day. And it's not necessarily the volume, it's the consistency. And like this is something I struggle with massively. It's like I'm good for like maybe three or four days and a day off and then have to come back to it. That's fine. But the consistency is the first thing. So it's consistently working at your style or seeking out new inspiration or pushing yourself to do different things every day and showing up every day. Sean McCabe, who is um, part of the Sean Wise community, he had a great line, which was show up every day for two years and watch what happens. And I believe he's absolutely right. It's this thing of it sounds easy, but it's surprisingly difficult. And it is the tortoise and the hare kind of scenario where if I slog away every day and put something out every day, I will improve over time. And what this does is you end up building a sort of stamina or muscle memory in order to be able to do that. So now actually, if I'm doing it every day, it becomes part of my life and my routine and it's not a problem. And, and this is true of, say, exercise. If you, if you start, say, going for a run uh, and you start with kind of, I'll just do 10 minutes, then 20 minutes, then half an hour every day, soon that half an hour run becomes part of your daily routine and you just do it. And the person before who wasn't doing any exercise can't quite believe that that person in the future they might become is someone who runs for at least half an hour every day. But it can easily happen if we're consistent. So the first part of getting sort of discovered or for your style is consistency and mastering your craft. So you actually become good at what you're doing because you're putting in daily reps at getting good at it. Now, once you've mastered the consistency, the second stage is bravery. So this is where you need to be comfortable enough to start experimenting and changing your style over time. So once you've mastered the consistency of sort of turning up to do the work every day, now you want to spend time experimenting and doing things which are uncomfortable and maybe that won't be as popular with your audience or your clients. But in this, you are trying new things. And that bravery of being prepared to not only try new things, but publicly share what you're doing is enormous because that's how you're going to get to the third bit, which is opportunity. So if you are working consistently and you're trying new things, you will build up awareness. I mean, I know that generally algorithms, they reward consistency. So you will start to get seen a little bit more. You'll be doing it anyway. And that consistency and that kind of momentum will inspire you to keep going. And then you want to actively be pushing again to kind of go, I'm going to try something which I'm not very good at, but it's going to, I know, I need to know what it's like. And so this is where you're going to start to share work, which is a bit different, a bit more unusual. You're going to experiment with maybe different mediums. So you might try design or illustration or photography or whatever it might be or painting 
But what that's going to do is that's going to teach you and you're going to learn because when it's uncomfortable, that's when we learn loads about how hard it really is and how we kind of cope with that adversity. But when you're being brave and you're trying new things, the chances of you stumbling on something which really resonates with people goes up massively. Because if you're doing the consistency thing and it's the same, people get bored. So we need consistency, but we need variety. And in order to share variety publicly, you need to be brave. So once you're brave and you can show this kind of evolution of you experimenting, that's when the third phase kicks in, which is you need opportunity. So opportunity will come along when you are picked by a client who has the budget or the reach or the audience to give you exposure to amplify what you're doing. Now, that client won't probably get to know you if you're not doing the first two things, because quite often it tends to be it's always who we know. But if someone who is working for that client has been following you, has seen your journey and has seen your work and really likes it, they might recommend it to their boss who might recommend it to somebody in the company. And then you might get an opportunity. And why it's so important is If this happens to you and you are picked by a bigger client that's going to give you more exposure, you're going to get a lot more scrutiny because a lot more people are looking at your work. But actually, what it makes it really kind of successful for you is what you did in the beginning, which is the kind of stamina and the consistency you've built up. So when they are demanding from you to go like, we love your work, can you do us a load of designs or take a load of photos? That's not difficult for you because you've already mentally got used to that you've overcome the fear of experimenting in public so you're not going to mind when your work is shown on a bigger platform to lots of people and potentially you might get criticism you're mentally tough enough to handle that and the consistency means you've got the, the stamina to deliver the work and you've got the work ethic which is, means you're going to deliver it well and that combination uh, of working hard being brave and having the mental toughness being given that platform and that opportunity by a client is then going to lead to stage four, which is exposure, where your experimental new style, which has become popular, is now being seen by a huge amount of people. And the more people that see it, the more people that like it. And then that raises your profile even further, which leads to kind of your success, because now you've you're in the zeitgeist and the final stage of having success and being seen by a lot of people as someone who has this cool style, which has now become popular That's all happened because of all the work ethic which kind of went on beforehand. And when you achieve that success, you're more likely to maintain it because you've got the kind of stamina, the consistency, the resilience, the mental fortitude, and you've taken advantage of the opportunity. And then all of that kind of sequence will ebb and flow over time. And you'll either get another opportunity as other clients come along, or you'll have to experiment your style and move on. Because once you've found this style and this style has become popular, It will only become popular for a certain while. And like we said, with trends, it will just peak and then die. So it's the ones that are able to reinvent themselves will find more opportunity again, and they won't become these kind of one hit wonders, so to speak. So it's the same thing, though. If your style becomes popular and then it becomes overly saturated and less so, that isn't going to bother you because you've got the the stamina and the consistency to go again. You don't mind trying new things and taking risks. And the person who's prepared to do that is more likely to stumble on something else which might be successful. But the advantage is now you've also got that reputation. So I guess from an outsider point of view, if you looked at someone like Beeple, who 
did, I think, 5,000 days of daily illustrations and drawings, peaked to such a level where he built a huge audience. This then became kind of uh, one of the biggest NFT sales when this that all kicked off. Then he was on Joe Rogan. And then it's kind of, you're in this stage now where you've peaked, you've got the exposure, you've got the audience. The challenge will be when people have got bored of you and they've moved on to someone else, how do you go again to produce work and how do you keep evolving to keep it interesting? Because if you just go back to producing what you've always done, people will naturally get bored and they'll move on and it will all be kind of like the peak and the trough and it's finished. So the challenge for someone like that is going to be how can I apply the same rules that got me here, but I'm changing what I'm putting out and trying to kind of hit the success again with something new and different and inspiring. But this time, because I've already built my reputation, it should, in theory, be easier to do this because people know who I am. And then, like I said, this is all done because you've built this stamina thing. Now, what I would say to kind of accelerate this thing of getting known for your style is you need to be actively networking and getting to know influential people who have power to influence the decision makers. And now my experience of, say, working in ad agencies, it would be you would talk to sort of um, headhunters and sort of art buyers who work within the agency who used to pick and choose the creative talent. You would work to sort of agents within your industry, like photography or illustration agents. Um, All of these people would all kind of know each other. And the point being is if you're in an ad agency and you can get your work in front of a creative director who think it would be great for a new ad campaign they're working on, then that's how that's going to get seen. But it's this thing of like someone has to find your work, love it, recommend it, be right for the brief, be bought by the client and then pushed out there. There's quite a lot of things that have to line up for you, but you certainly increase your chances by getting to know influential people at these agencies. You can work out who has what account, who are the creatives in charge of that account. Can I go and get my portfolio in front of them? Can I stay in touch on social media? You can certainly influence this happening in your favor by doing that. Because at the end of the day, it does, and I say this to my kids all the time, it comes down to how hard you work, how likable you are and who you know. Because when those opportunities come along, that's what you need to have all aligning in your favor to take advantage of them. So like I said, this is not about how do I create a style or be known for a unique style. It's how do I develop a work ethic that will allow me to create styles that might give me an opportunity at becoming successful. How do I spot dodgy clients? I'm always a little bit funny with this because like, it's very easy to paint dodgy clients or nightmare clients and like sort of basically say, well, they've done this one thing, so they're all terrible. But I also know that, like anything, there are telltale signs to when someone is a bit of a nightmare client. Um, A good one is often that they've fallen out with whoever was doing their previous work that's the same as yours. That's never a good sign. But although I could give you a long list of red flags and things that actually, um, you know, you could look for deliberately, I've found an experience that it's not a hard and fast set of rules like that. But there is one thing which I always use, which is between me and myself, and that comes down to sort of my gut instinct. So what I would say is um, if your client or a potential client behaves or asks you to do anything that makes you feel uncomfortable, 
um, in the same way that if you were in a relationship with someone and they asked you to do something which had made you feel uncomfortable, you would have to question whether you want to carry on with this person. So the classic we see in movies is where uh, the lead character falls in with the wrong group, uh, say like a, a girl, at, I saw this actually on TV, <clears throat> the girl's at college and uh, she falls in with these other girls, they go to the mall and they encourage her to do shoplifting and then she gets caught. And it's this thing of friends that would encourage you to do something that you don't want to do are not friends you want to hang around with. And it's the same with clients. Um, if they are asking you to do something which you're uncomfortable with or they're treating you in a way that doesn't feel respectful, for me, that's a good enough indicator that this is probably someone that you shouldn't really be wanting to do business with. Because if they're doing this early on, then there's going to be other stuff which is hidden from you, which you don't know about yet, which will come up. Now, the big ones are going to be things like not paying on time, not wanting to sign paperwork, kind of wanting to kind of take control of the project, maybe being a little bit funny about paying you what you've asked for. Um, any of these things, which we've all had, which are kind of bordering on disrespect, <clears throat> we don't want to be involved with anyone who is doing that to us. And as I said, you've got to think of it a bit like a relationship. So if you're on a first date with someone and the way they're eating or they pick their teeth or they burp at the table or they're rude to the waiter or they scrutinize the bill and try and split it 50-50, all of these things are massive turnoffs that you're just thinking, no, I can't deal with this. It's the same thing with the client. So when you do um, deal with clients, make sure you're looking out for this. And it doesn't need to be difficult. It's just this thing of like your gut instinct will say, oh, I don't like this. I feel uncomfortable. That should be enough. That's a that's a warning. That's you trying to warn yourself to go, this isn't right. Get out of it. So that's the, that's the easiest way to spot dodgy client requests. I would say that if you're trying to be a kind of a little bit more strategic, I would definitely do a couple of things. So uh, Matthew Kimberley, who is a business genius who runs Book Yourself Solid, in there, he talks about having a red velvet rope policy, which is a bit like a VIP area in a nightclub, which is where you would, um, you know, choose who you want to let in and who you don't. And with this red velvet rope policy, like in a nightclub, they're very clear on kind of like what are they looking for and who do we want to let into the VIP area and who do we not? And it should be the same in your own business. So you need to probably establish a list of things that are really important to you. Uh, things you love which are good you know green lights or green flags and things you hate which would be red lights or red flags and once you kind of are very clear on who you're looking to work with that's how you would judge people who are coming to work with you and more importantly you can actually say to people who are trying to get you referrals this is the type of client I'm looking for and you can be quite precise as in your description of that client so that's a really good thing to do the second thing is to set traps where they might, you know, let the mask slip, so to speak. So I've often found that if you are dealing with a client and they want to take a meeting and they want to know how much you charge, forcing them to sit, to book a time to speak to you is worth doing and then sending them homework and explaining that, well, I just need you to fill out this form before we have our meeting. But if you don't do this, I won't take the meeting. And that's setting the boundaries because you know that if they can't be bothered to fill out the form, then that's a red flag that they probably aren't that committed to the project or they're just hunting around for a quick price. So by doing things like that, you also find ways. And it's same, you're going to be asking them specific clients about, you know, maybe previous relationships, um, anything like that. Um, 
all of this is going to be great indicators for like, you know, basically smoking out potential red clients. Another one would be, um, you know, if they don't pay the deposit quickly, don't do any work until the paperwork and, you know, is signed and the deposit is paid. That's another one where you can kind of go, well, I'm not going to lose out on this. It's up to them. And if they haven't done it, then I'm going to walk away. I think that's kind of um, massively important as far as, again, you're just establishing something which is helpful and that you're going to kind of, uh, you know, you, you know that if they can't even pass this test, then we're done. In the same way that if you went to a job interview and you were late, they wouldn't hire you. It's the same kind of thing. The final bit I would say on this, which is kind of um, when it comes to kind of the perception of dodgy or bad clients. Now, this is why I said it's not good to kind of discard them all in one go. But what I would say is sometimes clients have just been burnt in the past and it's made them cautious in the same way that if someone is is a bit needy, it might be because they might have just you know had a really bad breakup in their previous relationship and it's kind of affected them. We don't need to chuck these people away just because they're going to be a bit high maintenance. But what we can do is kind of take advantage in a positive way. So if, for example, a client is saying they want lots of communication or they want regular updates, you can either look at that as like, well, that's quite needy and annoying, or you can try and uncover what was the reason behind that. And you can say, okay, well, why do you need me to be sort of available for you all the time or sending you weekly reports or, you know, why is that? And they'll explain, well, in the previous project we worked with, that agency, did, you know, we had real struggles sticking to deadlines and setting up meetings and the communication was horrible and it just made the whole project stressful and it ran over and cost more than it should. And so you go, OK, so now I understand where that's coming from. I can double down and overcompensate. And OK, so what would it take to make you feel reassured and they might say well um, if we had a point of contact that would be really good so therefore you can hire a project manager specific to that project and they can have their number and they can speak to them which again they'll pay more for but they'll feel really pleased about because now they have someone they can talk to and you might say well look how about we send you a weekly report of what we've been up to and then you can kind of present that to your boss so you're fully aware of what we're doing and you you know you can keep on top of things if anyone has to ask you and again it's not difficult to prepare a kind of report of what you've achieved and you will then bill extra for it but the client will feel very well taken care of and if this client feels taken care of you can almost guarantee that they will come back to you with more work um, especially if they move jobs like marketing manager they'll come back to you with their new client and they will tell other people and it hasn't been a massive problem for you to solve you've just worked with them and trying to go so what would it take for you to feel more comfortable what can I do to help you so this is where you've got to sort of understand that that is what they're asking for does that come out of kind of a bad experience in the past that is fixable or is it just they're just messing me around and that's for you to judge but I generally would tend to find that someone haggling over price and not signing paperwork would make me feel uncomfortable uh, in a way that someone who is a little bit like needy and needing more communication wouldn't really. And that's a good indicator of kind of the best way of spotting bo bad clients, dodgy requests, and actually not mistaking them for red flags and fixing problems and actually giving yourself an opportunity to create a USP around your business, which is going to help you stand out. 
So that was this week's question and answer session. I hope you found that useful. As I said in the beginning, I love doing these sessions. I really want to help you. So if there are any things you're having or any questions you'd love me to answer, please send them to me. Again, it's thad at thadducation.com or DM me on Instagram or Facebook or join the Facebook group by just searching Thadducation. I'm easy to get hold of. Send me your questions. I'll happily send you back your answers. And all I can say is have a great week and I'll see you soon.